Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. When you are done listening to this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. This means everything. Today, I'm so excited to have on my guest, an author and a licensed professional counselor, Tessa Stuckey. She was raised by two psychologists, and she has a natural deep interest in human interaction and genuine relationships. Now she's a therapist herself. She works with teenagers and has decided to take on parenting from a new perspective. Tessa coaches and, and presents to parents her research on today's depression, anxiety, and suicide rates, focusing on the parent-child connection. Tessa and her husband live in Houston, Texas, where they're actively raising their four sons and continuing to the fight against today's cultural effects. I can tell I have read Tessa's book for the sake of our youth from cover to cover. We are totally aligned and I'm so excited to have her on. Welcome, Tessa. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Just right here from the beginning in the preface, in the preface of your book, yeah. you talk about an epidemic in today's youth. So tell me and this audience, what are you seeing? So I started working as a therapist about six years ago. And so I was like in my late 20s thinking I was really cool, felt like high school was just yesterday, thinking I could work with these teenagers about typical teenage drama and hardships because, you know, I was just that yesterday, right? And, you know, they would come in with a lot of the same circum, like the same problems, the same struggles, the same issues that we know all teenagers deal with that we all have dealt with ourselves. Um, but the big difference was when I would ask them, okay, so how can we get through this? And, and what are some things that you do to make you feel better when you're in that moment? And their response was to think about suicide. Every single one of my clients was having suicidal ideation and some had already attempted it. Some were really ready to attempt it. And it was over things like their mom asked them to like empty the dishwasher or they got in a fight with their dad over studying for chemistry. And so at first I thought, okay, this is just cause I'm a new therapist. Maybe they don't like me yet. They're not comfortable. I need to peel back the layers because there has to be true severe mental illness or abuse or trauma or, you know, substance, abuse or some sort of chemical imbalance happening in the brain for them to get so low that they're thinking about suicide. So I tried to peel back these layers and I didn't get anywhere with that. It really truly was these typical life stressors and they were thinking about suicide. So as a mom of young four kids that at the time, I think my oldest was five, maybe four. I just lost too much sleep and realized that I needed to figure out what was happening to our culture that was almost encouraging teen depression, anxiety, and suicidal thinking and self-harm. Self-harm falls into all of this as well. And so I found that there are six cultural influences happening that our kids are growing up in and no one is aware of it. And I just really wanted to scream from the rooftops like, hey, I'm a parent, you're a parent. I talk to teenagers all day long. Let me tell you what I'm finding out so that we can make a change within our culture and our kids upbringing so that they don't go to that deep, dark, heavy mindset. Yeah, so let me ask you about that. 
before you get into the six cultural influences, mm-hmm. which I'm excited for you to share, do you think that there is uh, an acceptable level of socialization around the continuum from I hate my life, my life is so terrible to I should just kill myself, life isn't worth living. Like, do you feel like there is, this is a culture in which it's somewhat acceptable. It doesn't really maybe get attention the same way it might have, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been desensitized to statements like that. Um, And I think that it has become a very casual conversation, especially with youth. If one of their friends is hospitalized for two weeks and comes back from the hospital, it's no big deal. They've been doing this, you know, they've had plenty of friends since they were 11, 12 years old. I found that if if we don't make some changes, then 100%, there's a 100% chance that each of our kids are going to be friends with people who attempt or are in their life by suicide by the time that they graduate high school. And while suicide has always been around and there has always been teenagers who have attempted it or completed it, it's become so common that it's almost like we can't get away from it in our culture. And it 100% will happen for a lot of our kids' friends. And of course, as a mom that works in the mental health field, I got so nervous, I thought, what if my kid is one of the ones that starts thinking about it? And so, yes, I, I think that it has become very casual and it has desensitized. Um, I don't think that people know how to react to where the attention goes in the appropriate direction. So I think that it has created a really, what's the word, almost avoidant culture. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the six cultural influences. Where would you start? So in my book, I start, the first one I write about is the glorified option. So because it's happening now more than ever, it's going to be talked about now more than ever. And kind of going along with your last question with, you know, directing attention in the right area, we're not focusing on how to talk about it so that it doesn't create some sort of um, contagious mindset for teenagers. Say somebody attempts it or unfortunately somebody dies by suicide, it becomes a big topic. How can it not, right? But because teenagers are so impressionable and their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed, so they don't have any of that cognitive thinking fully developed, the impulse control, the risk assessment, they are, it's on the table for them. It becomes an option for them. So when they're having a hard day, that's where their mindset goes because it's happening so much and it's such a casual conversation. It's desensitized. We're not putting attention in the right place. Rather, we're focusing on how big of a funeral is going to happen. And when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about my clients. They are focused on what are people going to say about me after I die? I want to see who's going to come to my funeral. I have to kind of like get some grips on my my head and think, oh my gosh, okay, she's so off with this thought that she's thinking about who she's going to have at her funeral. And she's forgetting the fact that she's not going to be there (laughs) to see who is at her funeral. And, you know, that Netflix show came out and that created this fantasy. Any show or movie that highlights suicide, I think the intention is to spread awareness. But I think the unintended message is, 
oh, the fantasy of getting to see who is sad over you. And just like that Netflix show, she narrated the entire season. So it does give that illusion that she's there and she gets to see everyone being really sad about her choice to end her life. And that's not what happens in reality. It's romanticizing and glorifying the idea. Yeah. So let me, um, for anyone listening, the, the show you're referring to on Netflix is 13 Reasons Why. Yes. And um, what you're saying is that the first of what you've identified as the six cultural influences is that suicide is a glorified option. Do you also mean that just having mental health issues, being depressed, being a cutter, like all of that is a glorified option? Do you um, put that I all of you there? I think it absolutely. I think that that's, that's been the case for a while though. I think that there are some people who, and I talk about this in the book too, they strive for attention in a, in an unhealthy manner. And sometimes they lean on mental illness, but what I'm, and that's always happened. I've my whole life. I've known people that have done things like that. But what I was noticing in my practice was that they were going so far to the level of suicide. And that's, beyond just, oh, I have a mental health issue. It it was very perplexing to me at first. So the first cultural influence is that it's a glorified option. So I've, I've broken it up into two problems. Our kids are lacking connection and they're lacking resilience. The number one contributing factor that in my book is the second chapter is immediate gratification. And so that goes under the lack of resiliency. So our kids are living in a world where everything is instant, everything. And so anytime that they're bored or they're upset or they don't like something, they have an immediate fix right there in their face to make them feel better or distract them. So they don't ever have to struggle. And I'll never forget sitting with my client and I wrote about the case in my book. You know, she was like, I want everything and I want it all now. And if I can't get it now, then I'm going to kill myself. And that was her mindset. She wanted ever, I mean, and it makes sense if ever since she was two years old, her parents have given her a screen to help soothe her, whatever struggle she was dealing with, even at two years old, then she never learns how to cope. And so just those two right there, once our kids hit those hormonal ages, which are oh so fun, and they have real emotions hitting them, they don't want to struggle through them because they don't know how to struggle through them. And if suicide is already on the table as an option because it's been glorified, then that's a scary formula just with those two cultural influences. Yeah, I I agree with everything you're saying. And for people who are listening right now, it might actually have their stress rising. If you're yeah. a parent of a teen, we are going to talk about the what to do because you've got some really good ideas. Yeah. So tell us the other um, cultural influences and then let's talk about what to do, what, what you have found to be effective. Yeah. So the third one is the lack of personal connections. So I think that goes without saying everyone's on their screens. Everyone, I believe so many people are addicted to their screens that it's created this culture where Kids aren't learning social skills. They don't know how to look people in the eye. They don't even know how to order their favorite meal from Chick-fil-A. They're experiencing a world of loneliness. And as you know, as a therapist, loneliness is such a powerful, powerful emotion that makes us not do or think 
clearly. If we have a lack of impulse control in our brain, as teenagers do, it's just that's scary right there. The fourth one is attention seeking. So like I said earlier, attention seeking has always been a thing, but I like to think of attention seeking as just the natural part of being a human. We all want to feel important and we all want to feel valued. And if we're not feeling that because we're feeling lonely and we're not connecting with anyone, then it, it can lead us down a pretty unhealthy mindset for seeking attention. And do you think that that um, between the attention seeking and really the others that you've talked about, the glorified option, immediate gratification, lack of personal connection, do you think that technology and social media are a common thread running through all of those? Absolutely. So I think the biggest factor here is technology, to be honest. You know, I said they're lacking resiliency and they're lacking connection. And it's because I think we give our kids phones and iPads and screens at such a young age that they're not learning how to socialize and they're not learning how to cope. And what do you, what do you consider a young age? Well, I know just the other day, my seven-year-old in second grade said two, two friends at school have the newest iPhone. And I think that that is way too young um, to have that. I think, you know, we shouldn't be giving our kids screens even when we're out to eat and they're one years old and they're watching Mickey Mouse. I'm not a big screen person. I'm, I have a hard time being okay with kids having any sort of screen. I'm a big fan of boredom when they're young and helping them be creative and learning how to cope and self-soothe and self-regulate starting at a young age. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a the best answer for that. I don't have like a specific, except I don't encourage giving a smartphone to a child until they're 16. And I know a lot of parents are going to be like, what? But they're so, and I could go on and on about this, so I don't want to get too off on a tangent, but there's so many negatives that come from screens that our kids just are not built to to handle yet. And at 16, usually their brain is developed enough that you can start introducing some of the smartphone. But I talk a lot about um, some of the steps leading up to the smartphones. That doesn't mean they don't get a phone at all. They can get some sort of phone or a watch um, before 16, but I'm not a fan of anything that does games or social media or internet really until that they're, they're 16. And there's some really great options out there. There's phones that look like smartphones, but only call and text, you know, and, and so there are some really good options out there. I know, so, I know that uh, screen time and all of that could be a whole yeah. other conversation, but sure. Um, I, I would love to hear the last two influences that you see that are um, affecting youth today. Yeah. So speaking of screens, so if someone is feeling lonely and seeking, you know, wanting to feel important, and valued today, they turn to social media and social media has a whole slew of, I broke it down in my book as five problems that social media has on our kids, but the big ones are cyberbullying and unrealistic comparisons. You know, they get lost in this world of why don't I have a better life and why don't I look like that? And, and it can become very debilitating and it creates so much anxiety and depression for our kids starting at it you know, whatever age they have access to social media, Um, especially young girls. Girls have a harder time with social media than boys do. And then the last one is pressure. So, and that goes with social media. If you're falling with the unrealistic comparisons, then you feel this pressure to be perfect. 
And I have never seen so many kids and teenagers have anxiety attacks and just debilitating anxiety over this idea of being perfect, getting the perfect grades, doing the perfect things in school, posting the perfect picture and getting obsessed with that. And with that, they're losing sleep and they're running, you know, they're supposed to have 10 to 12 hours of sleep to function properly, which is unrealistic, but they're running on like four or five hours of sleep. And as parents, we're, we're not exactly giving them mercy with that. We're expecting them to figure out how to deal with it. You know, life is hard, deal with it. So you only got four hours of sleep. Come on, you know, buck up and let's go on. When the reality is, is we have to kind of come back to basics and focus on what's the most important thing for our children instead of having them involved in five different activities while trying to get straight A's and have the perfect social life. And it's just too much for them. I mean, I think that um, anyone who's really ever heard me speak about kids would know that these are all the things that I see as well yeah. in my practice. I also think these are all the things that, you know, that the research is showing as well. And so it's enough to get any parent super stressed out. Mm -hmm. So I think probably the most important part, which is what do we do? What do we do about these problems? Right. So we got to go back to the problems. So the problems are our kids aren't connecting and our kids aren't building resilience. So no matter how old your kid is, you can hone in on those two problems. Okay. What do we need to do within our family system to help build connection and resiliency? So my number one thing is during a time of boredom or distress, emotional distress, no screens are available. And I don't care how old they are. That's the best place to start because you want them to figure out how to be bored because there are moments in life when you are bored. It's going to happen. And a lot of times what happens when they get older is boredom starts to lead to some dark thoughts or woe is me or kind of just, I'm such a loser. I'm so like, I'm not doing anything and I should be out doing things. Um, but we don't want them to feel that way because it's just boredom. It's just for a couple of hours or it's just for the day. And we have to teach them how to build some coping skills so that that boredom isn't so debilitating. And it starts as young as you can get them, but the older kids too, you have a conversation with them. We're going to make some changes in our house. I want to make sure that when you leave for college, you can take care of yourself and you're feeling confident and, and independent. And I want you to, you know, from now on, we're not going to have a screen when, you know, from here to here and you have to figure out what to do in that time. So I talked let to, me say, let me say yeah. something about that though. Okay. I think that some parents right now might be listening and feel like they're a little bit past that point where they have lost control of screen time, not just because it is currently December, 2020 and the pandemic, but also just in general, right? They just lost that sense early on. I I want to just underscore what you're saying because I think it's really important. And what I like to say to parents is when you hear your child say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. You really want to meet that with a positive, like, awesome. This is a great opportunity for you to create, you know, create music, create art, do something with those boxes, all those Amazon boxes. So (laughs) I think that, um, you know, there's, I think for some parents, this feels almost impossible. Yeah. 
Well, and that's why you have to have some conversations. So you don't want to just like hide all the screens and be like, well, you figure it out, right? Um, especially if they're older, you want to have some talks with them and say, you know what, I've noticed you're losing sleep. And I noticed that when we're home all day, you spend a lot of time on your phone. And I just, I know that you are capable of getting creative and doing some things. And it makes me nervous that when something hard comes your way, you're going to just turn to your phone. And I will tell you, I sit with these teenagers every day and they are the ones that say that to me. They are the ones that say, I lean on my phone too much. I can't even get through a bad moment without my phone. And I don't like feeling that way. It is very much like a drug. It is a true addiction. And so, having conversations with your kids about recognizing that. And even I tell parents to take the blame. I didn't know when I gave you this phone that it would, that it would have this effect on any of us. I can even see it in myself. This was my fault for not handling this in the way that, that maybe would be the healthiest. And now I'm ready for our family to have a different mindset and a healthier lifestyle with screens involved. So what I would like for you to do, and so this is these are the questions I ask my clients and my kids. What do you like to do for fun? What do you like to do that's relaxing? And what do you do if you get upset? And those three questions help them come up with other options. And they can say, oh, I like to read. I like to ride my bike. I like to jump on the trampoline. I like to do puzzles. I like to, you know, whatever. Or what's relaxing? I like to take a bubble bath. I like to sit on the couch and pet my cat. I like to, you know, all sorts of things. And then the same with what do you like to, what do you do when you get upset? I scream into my pillow. I go punch the punching bag. I go for a run. Okay, great. That's their list of things that they need to do when they get bored. That's it. It's that simple. But it, as parents, it's our jobs to encourage that and to support that. And so if that means we have to say, you know, no screens from this time to this time, then that's what we have to do. We have to make sure that we are not, have you heard the term lawnmower parent? Yeah. So, so many parents have become lawnmower parents, which for anyone who's listening, that's when you just clear the lawn, the yard out for them so that they have no obstacles. You make it as easy, the path as easy and smooth as possible. And it's our job to not do that, to let our kids struggle a little bit. And if that means boredom, that means boredom. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, also, you mentioned this, that piece about like a piece of advice you give people is to accept responsibility. Like, oh, I didn't know. And I think, you know, I think that is, I think that is good advice. I also think by now everybody knows. And so you can also say, I now know better. I also think like what I say to, so I have a 13 year old who's uh-huh. apparently the officially the last kid in literally her grade to not have any devices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, that doesn't always make me popular, but I do say, you know, I just love you too much to allow this to happen to you. And one day I really trust that you'll understand where I was coming from and you'll see how brave and strong mommy was because it's much easier to give into the pressure. It's much Much. harder to be on the other side. Well, and just like if you have a two-year-old who's fussing at the restaurant, it's much easier to pull out your phone and put on Mickey Mouse than to figure out how to soothe your child or teach them how to soothe themselves in that moment. It's embarrassing. You're stressed. You don't want to create a scene. You want your child to just stop fussing, but it's also the same when they're teenagers. So, you know, teenagers are a lot like toddlers and they will throw these big tantrum fits if you take 
the phone or the screens away from them or but again we have to allow them to struggle so that they not only they learn how to get through it but that they learn to trust themselves to get through it and also we're signaling to them i know that you're strong enough i trust that you'll get through this if we just become those lawnmower parents or hand them screens all the time we're telling them like you're not that strong you're not that great you're not going to be able to figure this out i'll have to do it for you and and that's not how we want to raise our kids yeah and i don't think anybody intends to but no you're right that's what the research says is if you don't allow your child to take risks then um you're inadvertently sending them a message that you don't have faith in them and i don't think that's the way a lot of people feel we're just scared we're parenting out of fear exactly um okay i know that our time is running short and people are going to want to hear a couple of your other um what to do so what are some other what are one or two other suggestions on what to do with these issues Okay, let me think. Well, I I talked to a lot of parents of teenagers about how to build a relationship with their teenager. I think a lot of times they assume that their teenager doesn't want to talk to them or hang out with them, which I'm sure you see in your practice as well. It's so the opposite. Teenagers do want a relationship with their mom. They do want a relationship with their dad. However, they don't want a relationship where they're always getting lectured. So I have a lot of talks with parents about becoming friends with your kid. And that does not mean go and buy a smoke, a smoke, go and buy a six pack and smoke some weed with your kid. It means have some of the qualities that you have in friendships and have that with your kid. Take interest in them, hang out with them enjoyably, share stories, open up to them too, or just be a listening ear. A lot of times they just need you to listen. And you can simply say, do you want my input on this or do you want me to just listen? And a lot of times they'll say, just listen. And you'll listen and you can validate the emotions. And then a lot of times they will come back and say, well, what do you think? And so you do end up sharing your opinion because they start to value your mindset and and want to know what you think of it too. So it's important to focus on your relationship with your child, no matter the age. But I know with teenagers, it's a little bit harder as having some of those friendship qualities within the parenting role. And that's hard to do sometimes, but it also sometimes can be really easy to do too. Let me and think. I, yeah, to underscore that, I will say that I think you have to sometimes invest a little time in something that maybe you don't feel as a parent you have time for or that interested in. Yeah. Generally, yes. if you will watch their favorite YouTuber, uh-huh. um, you know, <laughs> if you'll watch them play some of their Xbox, if you'll... Yep just do some of those things that they're into. It's very easy. I catch myself too. Sometimes they'll say, wait, can you watch this video? And I mm-hmm. instinctually, um, oh, I would just want to be like, no, because I really don't. Yeah. And then I stop myself. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I got it. I've I, been I gotta, there too. Yeah. Right. I got to invest the time right now because it comes off in dividends and it really does. I did it last week. I watched mm-hmm. this, uh, two different YouTubers. And now yeah. both, you know, both my sons were like, you got to see this one and this one. Yeah. And I have found that over the last week, we've talked about them, you know, yeah. it's like a, yeah. just a casual conversation and yeah. I didn't have to put a lot of time and I put like 15 yeah. or 20 minutes. Right. In. And I think also something to be aware of is to watch how you react to that. Cause if you just kind of roll your eyes and like act like they're watching stupid stuff, which it might be, it probably is stupid stuff, right? <laughs> That's why we don't want to watch it. But if you act like, Oh my gosh, like, why are you guys watching this? Then that teaches them, well, never going to ask mom to do anything else with me again, because she thinks everything I do is stupid, you know? So it's important to watch. 
you can share your opinion. Like, ah, I wouldn't watch this without you guys, but I'm glad you guys asked me to watch this with you, you know, but you don't have to go as far as making them feel stupid. Oh, I get really into it. I think if you're going to invest the time, you got to be really into it. You might as well. Like, whoa. You know, unless there's something inappropriate, which so far so good. I'm sure sure there are ones, but unless it's that, unless there's something dangerous or highly inappropriate, get into it. They're into it. Yeah, that's so. so we we probably have time for one more, one more tip. Okay, um, and then I want you to talk about. Um, I love the phrase in the book that you write: "Hurt people, yeah, hurt people." So, but one more tip, and then and then we okay. have to wrap up. So, um, I, this one I get asked out. I guess get asked out. I get asked a lot, and that is, well, I don't want my child to be on the screen, but. I have to use my phone. So now what do I do if we're trying to be screen free, but I need to get on my phone? And this is what I say. One is don't do any mindless scrolling in front of your kids ever. You don't need to be checking Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest around your kids because that's just teaching them to do mindless scrolling. If you're going to get on your phone, and this is good for anyone, not just parents, but I do believe if you're going to get on any sort of social media If you're not getting on with purpose, so you want to benefit from it, then you're wasting your time. And that's what I tell teenagers too. If you're just going to do mindless scrolling, don't even bother because you're going to put that phone down and actually feel worse than when you picked it up. But say you have to check your email, say you need to check the weather, say you need to respond back to someone. I have taught people this for a while and it works every time is you simply narrate why you're using your phone. You say, oh, I need to answer these emails right now, and then I'm going to put my phone down. Or, oh, so-and-so just texted me, and I need to make sure I text back right now. Or, let me see what the weather is to see if we have baseball practice this afternoon. Or, let's listen to some good music. I'm going to put, put pick up my phone to put Spotify on. And I know it kind of sounds silly, and my husband thought it was silly at first until he was with my son. And my son was like, Dad, put that one song on to the then. My husband didn't respond. He just picked up the phone and started looking for that song. And then my son goes, dad, you're always on your phone. You're not listening to me. Are you ignoring me? And that's the exact opposite that we want our kids to feel is ignored or like they're not important to us because we're on our phone. So if my, so then my husband came back to tell me the story and he said, you were right. I should have just said, oh, let me look for that song right now on my phone. And it would have all gotten taken care of. So that's what I, that's my suggestion, especially if your kid A lot of teenagers come and say, my mom is such a hypocrite. She says that I'm on my phone all the time, but she's on her phone all the time. Well, I'm pretty sure your mom's not playing Candy Crush or doing a TikTok video. Maybe she is, and I need to sit and talk with your mom, but she's probably doing something that's going to be beneficial or is productive, and all she has to do is narrate what that is. Yeah, I I think... um you know, to really underscore what you're saying, there's, there's some boundary setting. I think that parents could really role model for their mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're working, you need to be at work and you need to, even if that says I need to step away because yep. I have a, a phone call or an email yep. to respond to. And then when I come back, blah, blah, blah. But so much of our lives have blurred lines. And so I think that they're getting that message too. Like, Oh, well, just because like, grandma and grandpa are over because of dinner time. That doesn't mean I have to stop doing what I'm doing. Like everything just blurs into each other. So boundary setting would be, I think a really good way to start reclaiming 
parenthood and childhood in their proper roles. Yeah. And it shows respect too. I'm really big on mutual respect between parent and child. Um, I know some parents will say, well, it's my phone or I pay for the phone. So I choose. And yes, you do. But why not teach your child, you know, as you're doing it and model the behavior that you want them to absorb and grow with? Yeah, I agree. Okay. We are going to end with this one phrase that you write in the book end today with the the notion of hurt people hurt people. I I read that and I was like, wow, that's a really good phrase. Yeah. Well, it's just a philosophy that I live my life by. I believe that I believe I really truly believe that everybody has good in them. And I believe that the good is kind of hiding underneath hurt for a lot of people that come across as mean or really disturbed or anything, making bad choices. I I do believe that they have good in them, but it's covered up with hurt. And in the book, and I don't know when you're going to release this episode, but it is Christmas time right now. But in the book, I share about the Grinch. You know, in the beginning of the book, it says the Grinch book, it talks about how his heart is two and a half sizes too small. And then he tries to ruin Christmas for everyone. And then you find out that he was once an orphan who never had a family and didn't get to enjoy Christmas. And once Cindy Lou, who opened up her heart and her home to him, he was able to knock down some of that hurt and his heart grew three times or something like that. And I just love looking at it that way with everyone. And I believe that hurt in the mental health field, I was taught that hurt is a secondary emotion or anger is a secondary emotion of hurt. So anyone who's angry is underneath that is actually hurting. Um, But I believe every emotion, every negative emotion is coming from a place of hurt. So even if someone is grumpy because they did not sleep good last night, well, they're physically hurting, they're mentally hurting. Or if someone um, cuts somebody else off in traffic, but it's because their mom is in the hospital and they don't know if she's gonna make it, they're not paying attention. So there's a form of hurt, I think, that comes from all negative emotions. Yeah, I think I think for parents listening, today's been a great conversation with Tessa Stuckey and her book, For the Sake of Youth, A Therapist's Perspective on Raising Your Family in Today's Culture. And, uh, you know, what this last piece that Tessa was just talking about hurt, it's sort of like, um, you know, there's two primary emotions, love and fear. And so if your child is, is acting, um, anything but loving, there's, there's some sort of fear driving them and it's probably Mm -hmm. social. It's probably, you know, they were left out of something or Mm -hmm. they don't feel good enough. And so I think that this book really it's a it's an easy read it is really easily laid out in terms of here are the six top problems here are six solutions to those or seven solutions to those and very practical very on point for what's happening um with today's teenagers so and and tweens i think that this is a great book to start reading if you've got a a 10 year old Mm -hmm. um so tessa thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your wisdom thank you I look forward to sharing this with everybody. And so again, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. And again, the book is For the Sake of Our Youth by Tessa Stuckey. Thanks so much.